Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale March 22nd, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for music hmm? because yeah. you you are music. I, I'm i always baffled by people who don't like care about music, don't like music. It's not a part of their mm-hmm. life. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, who, who hurt you? Who didn't play you music when you were younger? What is going on? It's not even that. It's just like, it's just like, what do you do when you work out or like when you are driving a car? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully everybody out there, you have music in your souls like us. Uh, but we are not going to just talk about music. We're going to talk about some ding dang comics this week because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics where we give you some details, some reasons, some excitement about every new comic every week. We'll give you our three personal picks for the week, and then we'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out that issue, and we'll give it an award based on a quote pulled from one of this week's releases. There's a whole thing with that. We'll get into it later. Plus, we'll run through the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues new to Marvel Unlimited this week, and some picks for collections on sale. Plus, 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 we do have a reading club. What do we got going on? Yes, we are talking to Alex Segura about Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man, issue number one. It's a crossover story between the two Spider-Mans at that time, and it is full of timey-wimey shenanigans, as well as Spider-Man. Super excited to talk to Alex about that. Yeah, Uh, Alex has got all his many millions of books, and actually... It was his birthday last week, so happy birthday to Alex. Happy birthday. Um, turned 74 wow. on March 15th, so, you know, still trucking. Uh, all right, that's enough about Alex for now. We'll get back into it later. Let's get into our picks of the week this week, starting with a big launch for Doctor Strange number one, written by Jed McKay, art by Pasquale Ferry, colors by Matt Hollingsworth, and lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. Now, this is Doctor Strange's 60th anniversary. We're celebrating a lot of anniversaries this year, uh, like multiple 60ths, 50th, 30th. I, I got a whole list of them, um, but it's fun to have a new Doctor Strange series in this big anniversary year for the character. And it's cool because this is kind of like a, I don't want to say back to basics because basics for Doctor Strange is like weird, <laughs> trippy, did go looking stuff. But it sort of re-establishes him in the Marvel Universe in a cool superhero way. Um, he was dead not long ago, but it's comics, so he's back again. And so we get him back here as the Sorcerer Supreme, alive, kicking back in the Sanctum Sanctorum in New York City. He's got his uh, amazing wife, Clea Strange, who's there as well. She's also a Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. She was the the um the lead character for the strange title while uh while steven was dead and we've got bats showing up aka the ghost dog very much still in the scene uh and so here we are just getting dr strange back in the thick of things he's um taking on cases there's a great you know opening to this where it's him basically putting up a sign in front of the sanctum saying the doctor is in and so we go through a week in the life of dr strange helping capes with magic stuff. You know, he helps Spider-Man deal with a demon who's doing three-card Monty and stealing people's souls. The cage versus magic creatures, Black Cat and the Central Park Dragon. There's all kinds of really cool stuff, but uh, there's there's a great scene with, uh, with Doctor Strange and Clea and, and someone they're up against, and Strange is like, you do not want to mess with my wife. Don't even try it, because Clea remains... So freaking cool. We love her so much. I love her so much. And this issue, if you're not familiar with her, this issue does a really good job at describing how these two Sorcerer Supremes are different. And I love that. Yes, she is not the um, the sort of like, I don't know, sometimes head in the clouds, sometimes, you know, sort of like, hey, man, this is all cool and all, but like, it's magic and we're going to help people, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'm going to use my magic to destroy my enemies and keep the people I love safe and my universe safe. I am the Sorcerer Supreme. Do not cross me. And her vibe is a little bit more of kind of what I want right now. But Steven is still pretty great under the care of Jed McKay, who's now been writing the character for a bit. And uh, 
man, Jed is having a moment. He really is. Doing so good. We're going to have an Avengers book by Jed in, gosh, less than two months and all kinds of stuff. Uh, We get to see, of course, Black Cat show up here because Jed has been writing Black Cat for a while. Um, One of the other cool things is how the another Sorcerer Supreme factors into this and how some events from the previous Strange series factor into this. So we've got the Stranges standing off with Agamon, who's this nasty warlord Sorcerer Supreme of his own of the purple dimension, which that right there is so great. What does the purple dimension mean? It doesn't matter. It sounds freaking cool. It's an old school comics thing. Just lean into it. (laughs) That's what I love about this book. You lean into it. It partially works so well because Pasquale Ferry is so perfect. His art is like ethereal and lots of great pastel colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Uh, it's lovely what it needs to be. It is you, you get the sense of fury and anger um, when you need it from uh, a lot of like expansive elements as we go along. But I mean, Pasquale can kind of fit into any book. And I think this is one of the places where we really see him shine. Lately, it did great on the Namor series, but now it's on Doctor Strange. Just so freaking good. I hope um, I hope everybody really, really digs this. And then on top of all that, that's a great first fantastic issue. Sets up a mystery, a mission, the world, supporting cast, all that stuff. It's a banger of an issue. We get a second story. We get a bonus story. And that one is focused on Pandora Peters and Wong, the agents of Wand, W-A-N-D, which is uh, sort of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s supernatural arm. There's no S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, but they're still like doing the good work. And all I could say is give me a friggin' spinoff I, of this. Yes, yes, yes. Immediately. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, the story is set on the Psycho Zeppelin of the Freaky Dr. Z. Amazing. New breakout, amazing character that we just... I, I don't want to say anything more other than... You're getting a ton of story in this. You're getting a ton of great new characters, some established characters. Um, if you are like on the fence about Doctor Strange, I think this is a perfect way to get in there. But if you're also a Doctor Strange fan, it's like, ah, it's like a warm blanket of goodness. I, I dug the hell out of this issue. Heck yeah. Next up is my first pick of the week, and it's Monica Rambo Photon issue number four. Full disclosure, this issue of this comic book made me cry because it was that damn good. Um, it is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luca Maresca, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Also want to shout out Lucas Vernick, who's been like just killing it on these covers. I think Lucas might be one of my current favorite artists. Like every time I see his stuff, mm-hmm. I know exactly, I know immediately who it's by and it's it never ceases to amaze. But going into this book, you, you could literally pick up this issue without really knowing like what happened in the past three issues, I feel like, because it centers around Monica's character and like the history of Monica and getting to know who Monica Rambeau really is. I was just so fascinated with the fact that even though we're in an alternate reality, we're, we're doing a lot of self-reflection here with Monica Rambeau about who she is, like what she stands for as a hero, her strength as a hero, her powers, all this good stuff. We get a little Moonstone, which I'm always here for because... She's one of my favorite Thunderbolts and Dark Avengers. But mm-hmm. we get to see a little bit of the uh, tension between her and Monica Rambeau here in this issue. But the thing that I really wanted to point out is the last few pages of this book. Like, it is absolutely crushing. It's what got to me the most because it is a conversation that Monica Rambeau has with Beyonder. And it is something that like I identified with as, you know, like a child of immigrants, as a, a queer woman as a trans woman and it's very much about like just keeping your nose to the grindstone and like not causing a problem like just collect the check move on um type of attitude and the amount of work that is done in these couple of pages was like that i just want that it was so damn good the art is gorgeous the relationship between monica and her cousin is amazing and i haven't really seen anything like that in comics. Like, I feel like we never get to see extended family like that or how they interact. Like, I'm very close with my cousins. Um, they are pretty much my siblings. So seeing this was just amazing. Yeah, I love her cousin so much. And like seeing the the ways that they interact across different universes. There's also this like, as Monica's going from like universe to universe, she's just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm a roll with it every time I get here. And she's like, 
leaning into different relationships and, and how that goes. I There's a smoothness to this book that I just love. It's good. Oh, man, just wonderful. All right, third pick of the week is Women of Marvel, number one. It's one of our anthology titles, and it's always a fun one to see what the characters, uh, like how the characters are brought in here, um, who's doing what. We've got an introduction by Charlie Jane Anders, then we've got five stories. One is the framing sequence and sort of interstitials between each of the stories, and it actually works to thread the entire book together. It's a She-Hulk story where she's, um, Jennifer Walters is, uh, is, is, is in court working on a bunch of cases uh, and each of the stories is uh, tying into characters she's defending or working for or working through in different cases uh, that the main that story that thread story is by Rebecca Roanhorse and Carola Borelli with Ruth Redman and then you've got a karaoke story with Black Cat and Silk which I am not a karaoke person but I appreciate it in and of itself. What are you talking about? The M stands for music, right? And you're supposed to love karaoke. Yeah. In my house, when I'm alone, yelling along to metal and hardcore songs, yes, that, that's that's where I'm at with my karaoke. Gotcha. Um, but then it's got like Mysterio doing solo karaoke. Uh, he's just like in there, feet up, just have, living his best life. And like he, he gets interrupted. He says, who dares to interrupt my special me time is... A blast. Uh, that one is by Victoria Ying and Jody Nishijima. Then we get a really great uh, Kate Bishop and America Chavez oh. story, which also brings in Starling and Miles Morales. And I love that one. Um, written by Melissa Flores. And I was like, ooh, I want more stories written by Melissa ASAP, please. Because it just got all the, it got really great dialogue. It was very fun. It very, moved very quickly. Um, but it also did a great job of connecting with the drama that is going on with current continuity. Uh, mostly for America and then how that spun out into Kate and a little bit of the relationship stuff between Starling and Miles. But it was also very welcoming for new readers, which is like that that balance we really want to see. And it did such a great job. And I wanted to shout out Stacey Lee's pencils because they're so tight. They're so good. Stacey Lee had done a silk book for us um, a while back. And I just was so happy to see her name in here. And it just felt really good. That story was terrific. Then we get a an, another Monica story. So Monica showing up two of the picks this week. Hell yeah. Uh, this one by Shawnee and Chanel Gibbs and Julia Gulazzi, uh, which was great. Got her in uh, New Orleans with Ms. Marvel. And then um, we also got a, I guess that's not a story. It's a sort of um, a little dress up thing that has uh, a paper doll. A paper doll for Wasp, which is the most appropriate paper doll you could possibly do. You could do a 400-page paper doll book for oh, yeah. Wasp and still probably not hit all her looks across 60 years because she's also celebrating 60 years this year. We're going to talk about Wasp again a little bit later, but love the women of Marvel. Love this anthology. Uh, it's got some really cool stuff. I think it's got something for everybody, which is what we hope for. Um, and then one real quick thing I wanted to add as a bonus this week, it's not officially one of our picks of the week, and normally we don't cover the Marvel Tales reprints, but this is there's a Marvel Tales uh, Avengers Rage of Ultron release this week, and it is a reprint of the original graphic novel, Avengers Rage of Ultron. For $8, you get this great Avengers story by Rick Remender, Jerome Opeña, and Pepe Larraz. If you've never read it, if you don't have it, 8 bucks is a steal for it. It is a great damn story, and it sets up a lot of what ended up happening with uh, Hank Pym and Ultron that is still going on today. Yeah. If you're planning on picking up Wasp today, I highly recommend you pick that up as well. Oh, yeah. They complement each other very well. Heck yeah. 100%. And that's it for our picks of the week this week. Let's go on to our floppies. Before we do that, we have to have to have to talk about the award. Last week's award was the I Will Eat My Own Guts in the Name of Victory. And it came from Avengers Forever issue number 15. And our first winner was Karis Pollard at A. Karis Pollard, who tweeted saying, Thankfully, I found the quote in Avengers Forever as I was really struggling to think how to portray it via my dog Layla. So I offer a prayer of thanks to Mephisto. Hmm, that sounds wrong. Uh, good job, Karis. Uh, and I already get you your comic book. So that is awesome. On emails, Richard Lee 
was first to find the quote saying, Jason Aaron has done such an amazing job on his run, I will truly miss his take on the Avengers. And FYI, I honestly started hearing the Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy song, No Guts, No Glory, when I read this quote. Fingers crossed, Jason Aaron does a soundtrack to his whole arc. That's a really cool idea. Maybe I'll see if we can get the Marvel.com team to work with Jason to put together a a little uh, playlist for his run on all those Avengers issues. Gosh, five years of Avengers, baby. It's good stuff. All right, want to give out some shout-outs. Dan Lipkovich emailed about Avengers Forever and said, Sad to see this run coming to an end. Love the podcast very much. I've been reading, collecting comics for 30-plus years, and listening to the show every Wednesday gets me pumped for the new issues coming out. Shout-out to my local comic shop, Hot Comics and Collectibles in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Very cool. Thank you for the local comic shop shout out there, Dan. Joe Hoffman wrote in as well saying, quote, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Jason Aaron wraps up his incredible run with the Avengers. I'm sure it will be mind blowing. And Joe reminded us that it's convention season. So hope you had fun at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City, Joe. Um, I know a bunch of people that were going there. Uh, And I believe C2E2 and Megacon are coming up in Chicago and Orlando, respectively. So listeners, let us know of any great Marvel. Marvel finds you pick up at those conventions. We always love to hear about that. All right. Before we get into our fabulous fresh floppies of the week, we need to talk about the award name that we're going to be giving out this week. Ryan, we're going to be giving out the Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That Award. Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That. Yeah. It's a good one. All right. If you find this quote, screen cap it tweeted to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com if you're the first i will reach out and get you a digital comic of your choice please mark your messages as okay to read so we can read them here on the show and if you have a local comic shop again please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out whether you own one or just go to one we love our local comic shops yeah 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 and if you're not the first one to find the quote we've got another way for you to win we've teamed up with marvel insider to score some marvel insider points just for listening to the podcast. So after you listen to the show, make sure to go to marvel.com slash insider and look for the Marvel Polis quote of the week activity. All you need to do is identify the quote of the week from the four choices, which is going to be easy because you've listened to this episode and <laughs> you just got to choose correctly and you'll earn those 500 in Marvel Insider points. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the Marvel's pull list quote of the week. All right, we need to get into the books and we're going to be giving out that space. Don't even be dusty like that award to all the books, starting with amazing Spider-Man number 22. Um, there's, there's a lot going on. I'm going to give our space. Don't even be dusty like that award to Paul. Uh, people have been talking about Paul. Paul is the, uh, the man we've seen side by side with Mary Jane and the children. And everybody's like, Paul, Paul, I hate Paul. What is Paul's deal? Yo, Paul seems like a stand-up dude. No, so, I don't like him. I, fair, but we learned a little bit more about Paul and that one year ago info this week. Yeah. All right, next up we have Carnage 11, and I'm going to go ahead and give my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to... It's just, it's really hard because this is a mm-hmm. very gnarly book, and I and I don't want to like incentivize violence. <laughs> No, but I love that Cletus Cassidy and Carnage. Every time they hear about someone else doing something like murder, they're just like, "Oh, that's kid stuff." Like that's that's cute. Like at one point, Cletus is just like, "Oh, you made it a little art piece. That's cute." Um, I just thought it silly. All right, we've got issue three of Joe Fix It this week. The series that's a throwback to the time when uh, when Hulk was going by Joe Fix It, working in Las Vegas as an enforcer. Uh, super fun. I'm going to give my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to there's a, a flashback within this throwback book, a flashback of Hulk and Spidey talking and like sort of working through some stuff. And then just it, it was good, like character building and sort of establishing stuff about uh, about Hulk. And then we get a whole bunch of other good Hulk and Joe stuff in there. Um, but I just really dug, dug seeing Peter David writing Spider-Man. All right, next up we have Marauders issue number 12. And I'm going to go ahead and just give my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to Steve Orlando, who wrote probably one of the most 
just ridiculous story that has like so many components to it that at the end of this issue, it gets wrapped up really nicely. Like he ties it to his 2099 stuff. He ties it to Genosha. He ties it to um, the stuff that he was doing in Threshold. Like it is wild what he's done here. Um, and I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah. All right. We've got issue 10 of Punisher this week. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was going to pick this one, but I like I pulled back because I feel like we, we choose Punisher so friggin' often which is tough because it's Punisher and there's a lot of feelings that go along with the Punisher and Frank Castle and everything going on. But good Lord, this book is so, oh, it's so good. Oh, um, the second page of the book is a splash page of a plane burning toward the ground with body parts and bloody bodies falling out of it. But it belongs to a sex trafficker and his cohort. So you're just like, yeah, burn them. And it's, there's just like pages of Punisher destroying and murdering really terrible, terrible people. It's Frank just being Frank. Um, I will say that uh, I will give the Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to Maria in this issue because we get a lot more context of, of her mindset as now Maria being the resurrected wife of Frank Castle and seeing her mindset of Frank now and Frank in the past and sort of a bunch of revelations and, and big things going big on. Time. In this Next up, we have She-Hulk number 11. This could have been a pick of the week for me as yep. well. Yep. Um, and yep. I'm going to go ahead and give my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to the mystery guest that is introduced in this issue because I already love him. Like, I'm I'm obsessed. Like, I need more. Please give me more, Rainbow. The, the thing about She-Hulk, every issue is so, so great, mm -hmm. but they all feel so short. So you short. Know, I call, I, I mentioned um, the Monica Rambeau book, Feeling Smooth. This is the smoothest, easiest, it like goes down and you're just like, like if you have a, a, a delightful beverage and you drink it so fast, you're like, where did it go? Oh, it's gone. I finished it. It was so good. I didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. oh, that's She-Hulk. Yes. Also, we just wanted to poses to our listeners but there is a ringtone that she hulk uses for the fantastic four like hotline so if you can identify what song it is because it's written out in the sheet music please email us like i i got the answer from nick Lowe, from editor nick Lowe, but i'm curious if anybody else recognizes it very cool yeah hit us up with that one all right let's keep moving on we've got spider-man the lost hunt number five wrapping up this uh another throwback limited series um, I'm going to give my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award to the fact that this is a dark as hell series, but the ending brings possibilities, brings hope, brings potential, even though there's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff throughout all this. So there's, um, I think, you know, part of the message is there is light at the end of the tunnel, even when things seem the darkest. Yes. Speaking of darkest, next up we have Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 32, and holy crap is this book like amazing like i i am obsessed with this story i could not have like wrapped up this little arc in any better way and we still got more to go but mm -hmm. i'm gonna go ahead and give my space dust don't even be that dusty award to oh, this is so hard uh sabay because the amount of like emotional tension mm. and like mm political and just like her friends all these like relationships she's just like carrying all this tension and all this weight like she is the backbone of this story and i do not envy her to say the least yeah no so good uh, also so good storm and the brotherhood of mutants number two this wraps up year 100 the middle part of sins of sinister i'm sorry i think the title is star wars storm and the brotherhood issue number two yeah it should be because this is the friggin' star warsiest book in the world and i love it so much it opens with a crawl it's it's like there's a friggin' death star yes. in it. it is so star wars i love it al coming in here al ewing writing this and he's just you know what I'm a Star Wars all over this this sucker. Uh, also bringing in the progenitors in in a new way too. We don't even get to see them, but just like putting them in the pages, like you feel them in there. Uh, it's so good. There's there's so much going on. That um, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna split my award. Gonna give space. Don't even be dusty like that. Award to one. The one panel we get of Mystique's Freedom Force. Oh my god! Because I want to 
book of that. It's Hercules, Sever Blackmore, who was the the pirate from Morocco that was in Wolverine for a bunch of issues, who's just dope as hell. But just seeing him there, I was like, yes. And then this Nova, who could, like, there's a lot of possibilities about who that Nova was. Is yeah, is it would yeah we don't know. Uh, but that Freedom Force crew, I was like, oh, I want a whole book about that. I and absolutely so want. That's it. half. Yeah, you didn't even talk about Hercules with the giant like Gatling Just, gun. Oh, the the gun that like, is uh, that Jesse the Body Ventura uses in Predator yeah. is essentially what that gun is. Um, and then there's the the other half would go to Storm freaking storm over 100 years old still rules she opens a cosmic storm to shake realities god it was good yeah so good love it next up we have tiger division issue number five um and this is the last issue of this mini series but in this issue we get a lot of revelations we get a lot of history between some of these characters and also a couple questions that get raised um which Mm. i really liked because it like, I'm already hungry for more of this team and more stories that include this team. But, like, the little seeds that Emily Kim kind of plants in the story throughout these five issues is just like, okay, I need more. Like, please, like, please, hopefully we get to see those seeds, like, you know, continue to, like, flourish. But because of that, I'm going to go ahead and give Emily Kim, the writer of this book, my Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That award. Yeah. Wasp number three is out this week, which is just great damn book about so good. Janet and Nadia. Uh, I will give my space. Don't even be dusty like that award to this. The the sort of like most of the issue we're inside the mines, which are inside these worlds crafted for both Janet and Nadia by that the evil creature from Cosmos, who's a really cool horror villain. But like getting into their minds and the idea that there's no Hank Pym there and how will, how will that destroy them and seeing how friggin they don't need damn Hank Pym. I know. I was going to say, it sounds like utopia really. Yeah. Like what do we need that guy for? Nothing. Keep moving on. Comics, Hank Pym, whatever. Anyway, uh, we get to see them in these worlds and it's terrific. And then last but not least, we have extreme X-Men issue number four. And I'm going to go ahead and give my, Space Don't Even Be That Dusty Award to Lockheed, who really kind of just stole the show for me. Because the minute he pops in, the minute that they popped in, and just like, I'm not even going to spoil it, but what he what they do obviously has to deal with fire and the bad guy. And I think you could put one and two together, but definitely, definitely, definitely enjoy when Lockheed is a part of a fight. Heck yeah. All right. That's it for the new issues, but we also have collections out this week. Bunch of collections this week, including um, a new printing of one of the Dazzler Masterworks, which is a lot of fun. But two omnibuses, we got a shout out. One is the Savage Avengers by Jerry Duggan Omnibus. Now, Savage Avengers by Jerry as the writer and amazing art by a bunch of artists, Mike Diodato and Patch Zercher. Um, it is not on Marvel Unlimited. So if you've not read it, you are not going to be able to read it on MU. So you should buy this omnibus. It is one of my all-time favorite books it is so perfect i actually kind of think i might have to buy this omnibus even though i have the collections on my bookshelf god i love it so much and then there's the unbeatable squirrel girl omnibus which come on unbeatable squirrel girl one of the greatest books of the last 10 15 years however long ago it started i love it so much so so good gotta get those yes also we have a bunch of infinity comics uh over on marvel limited that are dropping this week x-men unlimited 79 Avengers Unlimited 38, Spider-Verse Unlimited 42, Marvel's Voices, Negasonic Teenage Warhead Infinity Comic, issue number 45, second issue of the story. You might remember that we talked to Ben Brode about Negasonic Teenage Warhead. So Mm -hmm. if you want to know more, definitely recommend this. Doctor Strange, The Last Days of Magic, issues number one through eight, which is an adaptation of Jason Aaron and Chris Pachalo's story. This is where we get Doctor Strange with his, like, battle axe big fan of that era um and then we get a love unlimited deadpool loves the marvel universe infinity comic 42 and marvel meow and pizza dog issue number one which is a brand new series of a team up that is slowly building towards my agenda uh which is to make pet adventures happen soon please fingers crossed also new to mu this week we've got the books that we picked 
three months ago, Amazing Spider-Man 15, Dark Web X-Men number one, Invincible Iron Man number one, and Monica Rambeau Photon number one. So we picked Monica Rambeau this week. We picked it three months ago. Maybe y'all should check it out. Yeah, definitely. And then also on Marvel Unlimited, we've got uh, some annuals for Wolverine, annual 2000, 2001, adding those in there. Uh, X-Men Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is a handbook from 2010. I always love to see that. And then Captain America Red, White, and Blue from uh, 2002, which is a one year later 9-11 book with uh, creators such as Alex Ross, Paul Dini, Bruce Timm, Paul Pope, Frank Quitely, Mark Wade, Bill Sienkiewicz, David Lloyd, Mike Diodato. Um, I'm surprised to see that pop up on MU. Glad it did. So, yeah. All right. That is it for all of the new comics this week, including digital comics hitting MU. Uh, But now we're going to go talk to Alex Segura. I'm super excited about this chat because not only are we going to be talking about Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man issue number one, but we're going to be talking about his new book, which features Araña and Spider-Man 2099, which I really enjoyed. It was a really great read. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. Let's do it. All right, Jasmine, it is time for one of our returning guests back on the show. More Spider-Man talk with Alex Segura, who is writing a brand new Spidey book. It is Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow. Hi, Alex. Hello. Thanks for letting hey, me Alex. back in. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Ryan, I thought you were going to make a back to the future joke because you were saying that Alex is returning and we're going to go back to the future to talk about <laughs> Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> but, you know, you did that would have been too good. Now I'm trying to think of my 20 years of friendship with Alex. I'm going to say Alex has never seen back to the future. Stop it. <laughs> I have. No, oh, you have. That's one of the few, like, no, one of the things that when we, when Ryan and I worked together at wizard, one of the gripes that everyone seemed to have was that I'd never seen like the essential over of action film, like Robocop, uh, the original Terminator. I'd seen T2, but not Terminator. Like it was a very like egregious, have you like fixed that since they made me watch RoboCop? Okay, good. I was gonna say I was like, <laughs> it was good. this interview's over. No, no, no. Yeah, I went to, but Back to the Future was was a film that I had watched as a kid. Okay, <laughs> and two. How about three? I've watched them all, but two. I I will defend two. I think two is great. I am not a fan of three. I will defend two as well. Two is. I great. think one I... and two are one movie in the same way as mm-hmm. Godfather one and two are mm-hmm. one but film. Didn't, I'm Agreed. pretty sure they filmed two and three back to back as well. I think they did. Yeah, I just have this thing with westerns. I'm not a western guy. Ooh, we got to get you on a western <laughs> something and see how you you crack that nut. Alex, <laughs> you've been on the show. We've talked about Spidey with you before, but this one is a really unique choice for our reading club. You have chosen Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man. Why? This is one of those books that's like so fascinating from like a story perspective, like the characters obviously interacting but also from a publishing perspective because it's at the height of the clone saga so i think there's even a note i saw it this morning there's a note that says this happens before spectacular spider-man 226 which is at the at that time when you find out that ben riley is quote unquote the real peter parker um so yeah it's just one of these bonkers crossovers and it, it's it's funny because Spidey 2099 launched at a time when the Spider-Man main books were so tied up in continuity with the clone saga that for me as a reader, Spidey 29 was almost a fresh breath of fresh air, even though I love the clone saga and um, there's a bunch of clone saga Easter eggs in dark tomorrow, but um, yeah, it's just a bonkers book. It really is like full disclosure, Ryan, like Alex was like, I want to read all of Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> the whole That's series. He was like, from start to end. And I'm like, mm, maybe we should scale it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mid- I'm midway through my reread. <laughs> and then he was like, okay, this one issue. And I was like, wow, what yeah. a what a pull. And it's, I think it echoes Dark Tomorrow a little bit because it's, it's obviously two spider heroes. And one of them is thrust into the 2099 future. And, um, you know, Miguel's a curmudgeon. So he's always consistently curmudgeonly. Yeah. Um, you, you talk about the sort of the time when this came out. I want to dive into that a little bit because this, this issue, it's a one shot prestige issue. It is written by Peter David, penciled by Rick Leonardi, colored by Steve Buccioletto, inked by Al Williamson, lettered by Kevin Lopez, comes out November, 1995. All right. So put that in your heads. That same month, 
2099 AD Genesis comes out, which I believe <laughs> is sort of like soft reboot of 2099 stuff. Um, at this point, they've already had Doom 2099 is sort of reoriented itself. There's a lot going on. But that 2099 AD Genesis issue, which we do not have on Unlimited, which is a bummer, has yeah. a really cool Umberto Ramos wraparound cover, which is yes. dope. It's really cool. It's got art interiors penciled by Dale Eaglesham and with Scott Coblish doing the inks in 1995, wow. which is so rad. Akira number 36 comes out, which is the anti-penultimate issue of the run. I have a full run mm. of those from Epic. It's so good. So good. Um, Toy, Toy Story number one is released. We put out a Toy Story comic in 1995. Yeah. Now, there's a big bug on the cover that says using actual state of the art computer images from the smash hit movie, <laughs> which cracked me up, especially here wow. we are now. But, you know, thinking about that at that time, we're also putting out Barbie, Power Rangers, Ren and Stimpy, Terminator 2 comics written by Marvel Comics editor. One of them, Mark Panicia. Wow. He wrote one of the oh, comics because yeah. it was released by Malibu. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. This one was wild. So there's 2099 stuff is going on. Fantastic Four 2099 is released that month. I didn't know that that existed. I had no I forgot idea. that existed. Right? I was an X-Men Spidey 2099 guy. Like, I didn't do the other stuff. Same. And, and Ravage, yeah. of course. I still have my copy of Ravage. Ravage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> need that Grant, Grant meme action. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing is, FF 2099 number one is only one of five Fantastic Four comics released. Wow. We were putting out five different Fantastic Four books. Fantastic Fours, Fantastic, Fantastic Fours. Four. Yeah. There was a Fantastic Four, like Unlimited, whatever it was, it, which is what wild to me. That, wow. It, Fantastic franchise. Wow, that's crazy. And of course, there's like seven Spidey books at the time, but that makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, uh, we have we released Last Avenger Story number two, another great Peter David book. Uh, that was Pencil's a good one, yeah. Yeah, pencils by Ariel Olivetti, and that was part of our our Alterniverse um, imprint, which I love so much. It's a was Ruins part of that? Was which one? Ruins. Yes, Ruins is part of that. Um, Punisher kills the Marvel Universe is part of that, and then it it was also in the it was branded on the What If books of the time. What If eighty and eighty one, really good issues. If anybody can go out and find them, Uh, (laughs) Lunatic number one. L-U-N-A-T-I-K, number one. I'd have to look and see who the cover artist is, but it's a very, like, we're we're just aping McFarlane cover. Yeah. It's a wild cover. and But that character, which I was like, who the hell is Lunatic? I was doing some research. He has a wild connection to Annihilation. He's killed by Drax in Whoa. the first, like, in the prelude Drax miniseries before Annihilation starts, created by Keith Giffen. I mean, it's that was a weird one. I was like, now I want to read Lunatic. Uh, Not to be confused with La Lunatica from X Men Twenty Nine. Of how how would we even confuse that? <laughs> yeah. um, there's Skull Crew, Skull Kill Crew number five comes out. Joe Matarera is on Uncanny X Men. That the issue out oh, that yeah. month is three twenty eight, which is Psylocke versus Sabretooth, which is a banger, really good. And then finally, the last thing I want to point out is that this is really the month where Ben Riley becomes Spider Man. If I was looking at those issues at that month, and that was like. He's back. Spider-Man is back. And it's the it's when he's changed over from Scarlet Spider, dumped that costume this month, the same month that this is released, where we're it's talking crazy. about a Peter Parker, regular Spider-Man in a big prestige one shot. <laughs> That's why the they have the footnote. Yeah, it's the same month where we've got Ben Riley as Spider-Man going forward, theoretically, potentially for it was a wild, wild wow. time. Comics. Yeah, was that Sensational Spider-Man launched that month? Yep. yep, Or around that time, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dan Juergens. I was definitely three years old. I had just turned three when this book launched. (laughs) (laughs) Closed laptop. (laughs) Yeah, bye. I was in the weeds on this whole... I mean, the Clone Saga for me was like candy. It was like very heartbreaking, but also very exciting times. That, and then you had like Age of Apocalypse is around the corner. No. Age of Apocalypse no? is one year before this. Oh. It, it, it's hard because we're we're looking at now. This is almost thirty years ago. So I right. I had the same thought. Right, I was thinking yeah, yeah. the same thing. This is like, oh, where is the page, Age of Apocalypse coming after this? And it didn't. I had to look around a little bit because the huh. trades for Age of Apocalypse. We are actually putting out collections, which is not a thing we did a lot of in the early and mid nineties. So we were actually releasing more collections at the time, and we were starting to release some Age of Apocalypse stuff there. 
Interesting. Okay, because I remember the Clone Saga got really funky for me when Ben was revealed to be the real Peter, and then I jumped over to the X-Men, and that was as they were heading into the Clone Saga. I mean, the uh, Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, memory is a weird thing. Memory is a very (laughs) weird thing. You could have been picking up issues that were just on the racks for a while. I didn't have a comic shop yet. I was just grabbing whatever was like at Eckerd Drugs or (laughs) available. I want to get back to to Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man, because when I like... When, when we were talking about picking a book, you were like, I want to do all of Spider-Man 29. And I was like, we need to scale it back. <laughs> and then you were like, I, I was like, we could pick like this arc in here or this arc. And you're like, no, this issue. And I know that you kind of already hinted at the fact that it like mirrored some of the stuff that's going on in, in the book that you wrote, Dark Tomorrow. But I'm curious, like, why? what was it about this book that like, that's where your mind went straight to? I think it's, you know, I think you, you when you read Spidey 2099, the first chunk of issues, like there's barely any mention of the original Spider-Man or any, you know, it's, they reference the heroic age. There's hinting at the great cataclysm and this huge mystery is built up and it finally gets paid off in this issue. And I thought it was really, you know, they kept this long running thing. And what I love about Miguel is he's basically Spider-Man flipped. He's quippy and funny in his secret, in his real secret identity but as spider-man he's very quiet and menacing whereas like our spidey is like joking all the time while he's swinging around but as peter parker you know he's a little shyer and a little more kept to himself but um i just love the dichotomy of the two characters so the idea of them teaming up was wild and what's interesting what peter david does really well is he keeps them apart until the last possible second and then the payoff is so great because they play off each other so well that it, it's not done in a cheesy way you don't feel short change you're not like oh they never met but they do they get the moment they fight the, we'll get to it i'm sure but um it works really really nicely i have some thoughts about the ending there that we'll get to as we get further in the book but it's very um, tidy <laughs> i mean it's weird. now as a writer like i almost felt like oh did you not get the page count you want <laughs> like you know it was your page count truncated because there's a lot happening and it's it's like 45 yeah. pages yeah it's a it's a huge no but volume. i mean it almost felt like it was written like a three issue thing and then suddenly it became two suddenly became extra large i don't know it was a, definitely the third act steps on the gas <laughs> yeah yeah um of course written by peter david who had been doing so much spider-man stuff 2099 and, and beyond for a long time and it's just his, I was so happy to read his quipping for Peter uh, during it. There's like, there's, he's just making fun of, uh, it, so Spidey gets transported into 2099 and he's immediately in battle against, what do they call the, the eye, the, um, oh, the fly, fly guys. Yeah. Yeah. The fly guys. And, and he's like making fun of them. He's like, we need gun, gun control. <laughs> and one of the guys is like, he moves like lightning and he's like, I don't yeah. this is hot. And I was like, that's just. <laughs> He does he's just so quick and it's so he nails it yeah he nails the banter and also the kato kalen joke was oh, priceless we're, we'll get to that there's also a great line where um he's looking around is like this is a disco world and i'm strictly ballroom and i was like did peter david just watch strictly ballroom like while he was like <laughs> <laughs> watching on hbo before he was writing it because yeah, that, that felt very of the moment that line cracked me up i thought it was a great line it's really fun but at the same time, I was like, that's such a very specific, another very specific reference. Yeah, I think, I mean, Peter David's one, uh, obviously a great writer. I think he's uniquely suited for Spider-Man because he blends drama and humor so well. And I remember reading Spidey 2099 at the time and just being like, they need to put him on one of the main Spidey books. Of course, I didn't have the context that he had written Spider-Man before and done a bunch of stuff. But um he just nails those voices so well. And he does something that I thought was really impressive. I see now is really impressive is that he nods his hat towards what's going on with Peter Parker and Spider-Man, but he doesn't like dwell on it. Like if you know what's going on, you know, he's, he's got all this stuff with identity and not being the real Peter Parker and that can all be recognized, but you don't need to know it to come into this book. And I think he knew that hopefully like decades from now, this book can stand on its own and not have to be like woven into this bigger. And it really does. It stands on its own really, really well. Um, and I'm glad that you kind of brought up how like it's almost like a slow burn, right? Like we do start off with both Spideys like separated from each other. They're in each other's timelines and like we get to watch like hilarity ensue as they're like, you know, completely thrown off by either like the past or the future uh, timeline and everything that's going on there. But like it really does feel like this slow burn until you get that payoff moment when they finally meet. And it's there's just so many weird things that happen uh like they, they're each going on their own mission before they realize they need to work together, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And I think the uh, the idea of seeing like Peter in the future dealing with 
Spidey 29 supporting cast in his world. And then, you know, have Miguel show up and deal with like Jonah and Mary Jane and the Daily Bugle and all like the key elements. Aside from Aunt May, I think Aunt May is maybe the only like key component that doesn't show up. And I think she is not alive at this point in the continuity, if I'm remembering right, right? She died in Amazing 400, died, and then came back at the end of the Clone Saga. Okay, I'm of course correcting myself. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so you see, you see Miguel like in all of Pete's world and vice versa and that was that's the fun and that's kind of almost more fun than the actual meeting of the two characters this could have been so much longer totally. you could have like you know I, I think of current possibilities they would have been like what if we just flip them for a year and, and let them play out and then find their way back and given them more time to explore each other's worlds that could have been so much fun well there's also that mystery component right where we don't really quite know what happened like the there's like the heroic age and there's like the great cataclysm and like we get to see some of that from both sides where it's like he doesn't know like Miguel is in the past and he's just like, OK, like I still got a couple of years, but like I don't remember who the heroes are, or like who I got to meet up with. And then like you see him go to the Daily Bugle and like it's funny that you also talked about how he's Peter Parker flipped because yeah. he very much just like goes right at Jonah's throat. Like he's just yeah. like, get out of here. Get out of my way. Like I need to use your information. Kicks him across the room. Yeah. Rallies his the entire <laughs> like newsroom together. Like it's great. Miguel bodies Jonah verbally. <laughs> yeah. He destroys. Oh, that was him. brutal. He's like, yeah. oh my god. He's like, you know, Spider Man is remembered a hundred years from now. Da, 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 da. You're not even a footnote. And I was like, if I'm Jonah, like I'm just all like, Jonah can say is you're damn. lying. And he and then Miguel's like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, just nah, like no. he eviscerates him. Um, yeah, it was intense. And then meanwhile, you have Spider Man in the future, and he's like, he discovers like old new york like underground and like just seeing it all just wrecked and you're like what happened like what is going on like you're pretty much seeing it the same way that like, yeah you're kind of peeling away both sides yeah both mysteries like what did why is downtown in the future downtown Nueva york like that and what happened to the heroes before 2099 and you don't get like complete answers and not to get jump too far ahead, but one thing that David does really well is like he he chooses a path of handling time travel as a fluid thing, as opposed to you know sometimes when you mess with time, you're the only person that remembers you mess with time. Like Peter, David does it in a way that the characters end up forgetting too, and it just like the timeline flows like a river, and whatever is happening is what's happening. And I thought that was really smart. Shocker, he's a great sci-fi writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there there's I, I wanted to bring up from when they first get transported the where miguel wakes up in peter's bed and he's full naked Awkward. mary jane full naked and i'm just like why is everyone just sleeping in the nude is that is it that like superhero etiquette uh, it cracked me up it was just one of those little weird details. yeah it's always a comic book thing everyone sleeps naked i mean when you're like that swole i yeah. feel like you would just like <laughs> yeah always want to see your body any of yeah. them they're just like whatever yeah Clothes why can't handle this i only put on a costume when i'm swinging around i guess <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Cato Kalin, Alex, okay. which was a great <laughs> joke. Jasmine, do you know who Cato Kalin is? No. Okay. I was like, oh, I don't man. know who this which is. is uh, yeah, you did the sign that it went over your head, and I was like, yeah. oh, man. Which is fine. It, it is a very 90s reference. It is tied to the O.J. Simpson of it all in uh, in pop culture and true crime let's like how do you yeah how do you explain kato i mean kato kalen was oj's house guest when all of that went down and you know the the trial and everything leading up to that was this huge media circus and kato kalen very much took advantage of that media circus and became like a z-list celebrity i guess Yeah, because like when fair. i when i googled him i was just like okay like what is this and i, I saw him and I was like, okay he's a media personality slash like and then, like, yeah, I think in his Wikipedia bio, all it says is, like, known for being a key witness in the O.J. Simpson murder <laughs> trial. And I was like, that can't be yep. it, is it? Okay, that makes sense. But I think what makes that joke perfect is that it's not just a quip about Cato. It's in the, the follow-up, which is he was president at some point. <laughs> like, yeah, he hammers that home. And so, to me, I was also like, all right, so there's just this continuity that we're establishing for 2099 of... Yeah. Just wild stuff. <laughs> Which now thinking about our current reality, any of this is freaking possible. Who knows? Like any dumb. Yeah, dumb I mean, maybe he's prepping a Senate run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, not shock me at this point. Yeah. Uh, they also have. Uh, you mentioned Nueva York, but it's not actually called Nueva York in this issue. I don't know, unless I missed it. I read through it, and it 
the even the 2099 folks don't call it Nueva York. Interesting. Yeah, that was weird. I noticed that because it's very clearly called Nueva York in the early issues of Spidey 2099, and it is called Nueva York in the book. So yeah, um, was is that part of the the affinity you had for for this? Because you know, obviously, growing up, there aren't a lot of Latino characters, heroes that you know we could connect to. Um, not that Miguel O'Hara doesn't always <laughs> that always know, threw me off. Her as as latino but yeah um was that something for you alex yeah i mean it was i have very very strong memories of like picking up that first like foil embossed issue of spidey 2099 and first i was really reticent like oh what is this like there's only peter parker like peter parker is spider-man but then reading the issue like miguel and you do get some sense of his culture and background and obviously as you keep reading you meet his mom and his brother and his you know his you learn more about his family and that really resonated with me like I think identifying with stories is so important. Like you just see yourself, it, it means so much. And um, when Aranya showed up, that it just felt like, okay, now there's, and now it's not just Miguel. Now we're seeing like more than one Latinx superhero, spider hero. Um, yeah, I think that's invaluable. And and even even for any reader, you know, to see your, a little bit of yourself, like I, I'm not Mexican or Irish, I'm Cuban American, but, you know, and, you know, Latino culture is not this behemoth, like we're it's not this one singular thing, but just seeing some representation was so cool for me as a kid. I, I came to Miguel O'Hara in Spider-Man 2099 through a, a card. I remember my my best friend's dad oh, nice. used to collect like the Marvel trading cards and like comic books. So that's how I got like a lot of my early stuff. But I remember just picking up the card being like, who is this? And because he just looks so cool. It's an amazing costume. Yeah, he looks so cool. And then yeah. like my friend continues to like tell me all about 2099. And then I flip the card over and I'm like reading like his secret identity is Miguel. And I'm like, shut the f- up. Like there's a Mexican <laughs> Spider-Man, like get out of here. Yeah. And like, I will never forget that. Like that was something that like to this day, like every time I see him, I'm like, like I'm not the biggest 2099 fan, but like Mexican Spidey, that's all. <laughs> and it's also, it, it for me, it was like, okay, I can, as a kid before, like I had a comic shop and could buy back issues. And like, I was kind of at the will of whatever was on the newsstand. Like I was like, this is my Spider-Man. I can start from the beginning. We have this connection and I can just follow his adventures. And obviously I would still read Peter Parker, but you know, I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, you probably see this with Miles Morales and every like iteration of spider heroes, but you know, you can call it your own in some way. Like Aranya is definitely mine. Cause I remember when that book was yeah. coming out too. Um, and she was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that she's back in that suit. You know, it's like modified, but it's, it's the classic look. Yeah. We have to talk about that, Alex, because I'm a, f- that was a nice little bit of corporate synergy. I would say, I mean, I'm a fan, but I need the ponytail back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's the next story. Okay. Next story. She grows her hair <laughs> the out. Search Got for it. the missing ponytail. <laughs> yes. The yeah, search for the missing ponytail. Um, I do want to talk about your book too, because we're, we're kind of hinting at some of the characters that play a role in this story. And I thought it was really cool. I am 90% of the way through. Oh, thanks for reading I'm it. In chapter 36, I think it is. Yeah. 36. But did you get to the, I mean, there's a really cool, like, I'm not spoiling anything. There's a cool, like guest appearance. Yes. That's what the, I was going to ask okay. you. And I don't want to spoil it, but like, there's <laughs> like, you clearly chose what spider like heroes to involve in this book. Like, Peter Parker, Spider-Man yeah. makes an appearance very early on, but it's not like a huge part of this book. Uh, I mean, that was a huge moment for me, having never written like Peter Parker in any like, iter- I mean, beyond like fan fiction or whatever is going on in my mind. Wait, but... you have fanfic out there? Oh, time to go find that. <laughs> no, I just mean like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but no, f- that was huge. But yeah, it was really fun to just cherry pick like who to play with. And you get to do that with villains as well. Like, I mean, like when we when we're reading this this comic, Spider Man twenty nine meets Spider Man. Like, there is so many villains that are just kind of like cherry picked here and there from both sides. And it was fun to read yours because, like, your main villain is a mutant, right? <laughs> yeah, and he can essentially manipulate reality yeah, yeah. and then manifest all these different Spider villains from like across time. And I was like, that is, I would have so much fun with that. I don't know how you limited yourself to certain villains, but like, you were just like. Hobgoblin here. <laughs> yeah, Demo Goblin. Yeah, Demo Goblin. I was like, whoa. Deep cuts, yeah. Um, I think when I wrote the Aranya story for uh, Edge of Spider-Verse, Nick Lowe was asking like who I wanted the villain to be, and my first response was Vermin. Like, cause I'm just like a sucker for like those <laughs> deep cut, like like Vermin is the best rat <laughs> guy. <laughs> I feel like you and I have talked about just been like, yeah, Vermin. Yeah, at Vermin. Each other at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just like Amazing. And uh, I have a soft spot for the J.M. DeMattis, like spectacular run with Sal Buscema. But to your question, yeah, it was 
it was really an opportunity to like play with the villains that I grew up reading that were really fun. Like, I don't want to spoil who the big bad is, but I think when you get to it in the book, you, your first thought is probably like, Oh, that's a deep cut. And hopefully it lives up to like what that villain does. Because when I pitched that, I was like, there's no way they're going to let this be the big bad. Like not cause he's lame, but because it's just, it's kind of an obscure play. So I'm glad you guys, you, you brought up villains to go back to the Spider-Man 2099 meet Spider-Man. Uh, we get, uh, a, a couple of villains in here in the different time frames. I like Venom showing up and he's all like, <laughs> he's like Wait, what's this costume? All I like that he cuts his tongue. Cuts his t- yeah. Like, <laughs> you get a, just a wild Venom scene with 2099. Who's just like, nah, son. And he just like goes after him. But then you also not having it get Hobgoblin 2211. Is it time for us to talk about the 2211 of it all? Please. Yeah. What is it. happening? I, <laughs> I read this and I was like, because I'd never read this before. I, I, I dipped out of Spider-Man um, after Larson left Marvel. So in like the Oh, 20s, wow. So you didn't have any of the Bagley stuff. Mm, no, that's not. You're right. I, I, I read a lot of Bagley stuff, but probably around the 30th anniversary, a little after the 30th. So uh, yeah. 93, 92. Yeah. So probably in 93, I jumped out. And so I didn't really mm-hmm. read Clone Saga stuff at all. I, I remember seeing it on like racks and I remember flipping through like the last issue of it at a, at a newsstand oh, yeah. and being like, wait, what? Why is he turning to dust? What's going on? And I was just like, I don't know. I go back to whatever it is. <laughs> so I didn't, I, I had never read this before. I wasn't even sure what this was. So this is my first look at this. And I was like, you get to this moment where there's a green goblin who shows up. But it's like, I'm Hobgoblin. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. You, you're green and purple. What's happening? It's so bizarre. And it's also like the Green Goblin is very problematic in general, but also like very confusing in continuity in 2099 as well. Like um, just because of the identity of the of the Green Goblin and how it plays into me. We, we actually deal with it a little bit in the book. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, it's brought up in the book because I didn't know about that. And it was revealed in your book. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this is this makes us a lot more juicier. Yeah, no, that's all like real deep cut continuity stuff. Um, but I know like Peter David had his, it's almost very similar to like what happened with the Hobgoblin, like Roger Stern had his view and then he left and Peter David had his idea of who the Green Goblin 2099 would be and then he left. And so anyway, goblins are messy. Goblins are messy, but we get Hobgoblin 2211, which has a weapon called the retcon bombs, which that was so cool. <laughs> that was great. Like, that's, that's almost too Perfect. meta for 1995. Yeah. It's wild. I, I want him back. I want the retcon bombs back. I'm sure he's around there somewhere. Yeah. So the the crazy thing is I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then this, the last couple of beats of the book, we get another Spider-Man showing up. Yeah. Who's just like, <laughs> what's up, y'all? I got bizarre. six arms, two legs. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. I've been cameoing this whole issue. What's up? I'm going to fix everything. Don't worry about it. And I was like, wait. Yeah. He like shrugs them off. He's just like, I'm in and charge. And he's like, don't, don't worry, worry son. It. I've got this. It's like, that's the tone of voice I read it in. He had, which is kudos to Peter David for immediately establishing how this character felt completely different from the others. But he comes in. He's also Spider-Man of 2211. I was like what why are what is this even happening and then i did a little dive it's like the spider verse before the spider 100 there's yeah there is and i didn't know this i this this was obviously before either of our times at wizard but there's spider-man one half has him on the cover with them and so like i want to find that we don't have it because marvel co-released it with wizard back in this probably would have been 1995 so that's a weird old before one. digital files. I don't know what this was. One half. Yeah. So one half um, wizard would release wizard magazine would release one half issues with various publishers that were just comics that were a little bit shorter, something different. They, they would release them as uh, like mail aways. Um, so, you know, they were, they were a hot ticket back in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. He's on the cover right there. It's all three of them just like hanging out. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So that happens. And then in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, where uh, Peter was writing Mike Waringo art, we get the return of Spidey 2211 and the like revelations of the connections between Spidey and Hobgoblin and all that stuff. And then there's like a, from what I remember, a brief cameo of 2211 in Spider-Verse. He doesn't have like a major role. It's interesting because I read this issue right around the same time I reread Peter David's first X-Factor run. And you said something, Ryan, about 
how great he is at just like hopping in and getting the voices of the characters. And he comes in on X factor not to derail the conversation, but he comes in at a very weird time where all these characters have been all over the place in the X universe. And he just nails their voices like rain Sinclair, Polaris, havoc, Quicksilver. Like they all sound very different. They're all not meant to really be together, but it just works. And um, I think that's one of his real strengths as a writer. You mentioned the great cataclysm, which I like was, you know, sort of talked about and like given a, a bunch of depth in here. But also, I like how quickly Miguel connects with Mary Jane and like, there's a little bit of like, ah, but then they're just like, they, they deal with it and they, they connect. And there's a great scene of them walking through the city and he's putting on a bright yellow Marvel <laughs> yes. comic sweatshirt. And I was like, dude, we were just like DGAF. Let's go into this, yeah, whatever like- we want to do. We've got retcon bombs. We're putting a Marvel comic sweatshirt in here. I... I love that it is kind of brash and fun. Yeah. And I also think because so much stuff, like very deep, heavy stuff was happening with the main spider books that this, this event crossover just happened like on the side, but it really holds up and it's just, yeah, like you said, it's a fun thing. And I feel like Mary Jane is the heart of that half of the story. Like she really propels a story. Yeah. Like she doesn't like put up with this either. Like she's very much just like, okay, we're going to get down to the bottom of this. Let's go. Yeah. Cause she's gone through a bunch of stuff or just, You know, she's ready and she's like, okay, what's next? Now this future Spider-Man is showing up in my apartment. (laughs) We've talked a lot about, of course, Peter David, because he's, you know, so important, so prolific, especially for 2099, but got to shine the light on Rick Leonardi because, you know, there's a lot of great storytelling. It's a fast moving thing. There's a lot of tonal shifts and characters and things and secrets and all kinds of stuff that were going on that's going on throughout the issue. But then you get to that moment that we talked about that we're with that slow build to the moment where they meet. And there's this great double page spread of the two of them, the two Spideys iconic side by side. And it is just tight. It is good. It is like frame this bitch. It is nice. Yeah. No, I, I was rereading it this morning on, on my desktop and I just screen grabbed it. I was like, this is beautiful. That's wallpaper. um, Like, yeah, exactly. Easily. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, Peter David is fantastic, of course, but I think had he been paired with somebody else or somebody that wasn't as dynamic as Leonardi, it, it might not have resonated as much as it, it did over, you know, becoming this like iconic character. I mean, Leonardi, you know, is still hugely underrated. I think he was like the all he alternated on X-Men with Mark Silvestri. He did a bunch of other X books. He was just like one of these great artists that when he showed up on a book, you were excited because um, he was always like a great fill in guy. But this I think this was one of his more meaningful just runs and you know the design is impeccable i think the costume design is so iconic too yeah also al williamson you mentioned you know when i mentioned his name he was like legend like yes legend been working in comics at this point like 60 years or whatever it was yeah however long (laughs) al had been in comics just so good and and his inks are really important and even when you get 2211 who shows up he has a different vibe to him which i think comes across in the art he he almost feels like uh, he is that other century separated mm-hmm. from from yeah. even miguel and it's it's cool yeah it's really great okay before we let you go because we're running short on time i do want to talk about your book a little bit can you tell us a okay. little bit more about what your book's about why 2099 and araña like <laughs> i mean i'm, I'm a fan um, of both these characters but you were like i get to write a spider-man book i'm gonna choose these two yeah I, you know when i was first talking to the Marvel press team, they, you know, we talked about Latinx characters that would be great to work on. And I mentioned Aranya and I said, I really love Miguel O'Hara, Spidey 2099. And I think there was, you know, the, the idea was like, well, how do you get them together? Um, and I feel like both characters needed each other. Like the Aranya, when we meet her, Anya Corazon, she's just lost her mentor, who also happens to be named Miguel, um, and is kind of not sure how to do this superhero thing and then finds herself propelled into 2099 and completely lost her powers are on the fritz um and the miguel we meet at that point is i I was joking i think before we hit record that it is in continuity in my mind but it's basically a miguel that's been racked by tragedy and he's basically given up being spider-man and so i wanted to see how they played off each other and whether they would be able to kind of figure out what to do in time to save save the universe basically from this this villain but miguel is at a low point and he doesn't really see the value of being a hero he's lost so many things so many people and and anya kind of reminds him of why he does it and he in turn then kind of teaches her what it takes like how do how do you do this how do you survive at being a hero when things get tough and so uh, you know friendship is magic they basically figure out why they need each other and at 
just at the right pivotal time. And there's a ton of Easter eggs and a fun, you know, like you were saying, there's a ton of villains that nods. There's a great cameo at the end. There's a Peter Parker shows up at one point to share some key advice and, you know, he's off world. So he can't really like <laughs> help with the big fight as he sometimes is. But um, yeah, it was a blast. It was like, I, I got to put all my favorite like Spidey things into one book and um, you know, it's a coming of age story. Like all great YA stories hopefully are, you know, you, you see the Anya you meet at the beginning of the book is very different from the one at the end. And she's, she's kind of grown and come to terms with her legacy, but at the same time, Miguel, an adult, you know, we can change too. We can get better at what we do, you know, has kind of, without spoiling anything, realizes that it's important for his time to have a Spider-Man. We also want to shout out you're doing some Infinity Comics stuff, right? Yeah, and it was kind of wild because, you know, I think for these stories, they're looking for things that involve, like, not not only the core team, but, you know, Avengers that maybe we haven't seen for a while. And so the first people that I thought of were Moon Knight, Spider-Woman, uh, our villain, Master Pandemonium, is one of my favorite, like, <laughs> just bonkers. That is one of like, the most Alex villains I've, I can think of. I love it. Demon baby arm villains. And um, basically, uh, Master Pandemonium has taken over a small town and tapped into this um, this way of upping his powers by misusing the Shroud. One of my other favorite, like, bizarre, like, not he's actually not that, more, that obscure anymore, but... Um, I remember seeing him as a kid, one of those like solo Avengers comics where he fights Moon Knight. And I was just like, who is this guy? Like, he looks just like, you know, he's just like this very cloaked and he's got a great look. Um, anyway, so it's got Moon Knight, Shroud, Spider-Woman, Captain America's there. They all head to this small town and basically try to liberate the Shroud. But then they come face to face with Master Pandemonium. Jim Tao did the art. He's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Like, I mean, I love I love playing with those characters. This is awesome. I'm excited. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, excited Anytime. to finish this book. Uh, I have like literally 30 pages. Left. I was so mad that I didn't get enough time to finish it. Before <laughs> let this, me know. But... Let me know what, what, yeah, the, uh, what you think of the ending. Um, so far, I'm a fan. But this has been great. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alex. Love you. Love you too. Oh. All right. Big thanks once again to Alex Segura for coming on the show. He's a nightmare of a human being, but he writes good comics and stories. Wow. Just kidding. He's one of my closest friends. Fine. I love him. All right. So Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow is a prose novel and you can pre-order it now. It will be available May 2nd, 2023. This episode of Marvel's Pull was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull's Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us at pullist at marvel.com or use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List over on Twitter. Um, make sure to rate and subscribe and tell a friend about the show. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pull list quote rules. Terms and conditions apply. Open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Be back next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.